Well, dear friends, dear congregation, I would ask you now to please turn your very prayerful attention there to 1 Corinthians and the ninth chapter. We arrive this evening in the verse 19 of this chapter as we continue to make our way through this chapter. I just read that little section, verse 19 through to the verse 23. We'll, with the Lord's help, be considering this section here this evening. It's not a large section. It's a, a small section, and Paul is dealing with a particular theme here. He's continuing on with the same, uh, as it were, thinking, and that mindset of not serving oneself, but serving Christ. But again, these verses are probably some of the most violently abused and misunderstood verses in all of the Bible. And I want us to understand them right this evening. Let us hear verse 19 to verse 23 once again. For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew, that I might gain the Jews, to them that are under the law as under the law, that I might gain them that are under the law to them that are without the law as without law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without law. To the weak became I as weak, that I might gain the weak. I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake, that I might be partaker thereof with you. Amen. This is God's word. Now, how often have we heard these verses, particularly the words that we find in verse 22b, quoted where the apostle by the Spirit says, I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. I made all things to all men. How often have we heard those words quoted and so misunderstood? In fact, it's a common phrase today. The world might even use it. He's all things to all men. Meaning he runs with the foxes and the hounds. Meaning he runs this way and that way. Meaning, well, that man is so changeable that's how the world understands it. And I'm afraid that's how so many Christians understand these verses. I believe that this section here is probably the most violently abused section in all the Word of God in the modern church today. These words of the Apostle Paul, given by the Holy Spirit, have given some, they believe, justification for all things, body piercings, tattoos, weightlifting, exhibitions in the church, these things galore to try to win the unbeliever. Many reason here that the Apostle Paul is saying that we have to try to identify with our culture, the culture of the age. And so we have people piercing themselves, becoming grungies, becoming 
hip-hop artists becoming uh, Christian grungies, as it were, to try to win the culture, trying to be like the culture, and even using worldly language, even in the pulpit, using coarse language, even in the pulpit. Some people use these words to justify such, where Paul says, even to the weak I became weak. And he says, I made all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. Well, what do these words mean then? Well, I'll tell you what they don't mean. They don't mean that Paul has changed his wardrobe as a Christian to dress like the world. It doesn't mean that he's changed his hairstyle, my friends. It doesn't mean to say that he has changed his music to suit the culture. It doesn't mean to say that he's encouraging the church to dress like uh, the people in this day, to be like the culture of this age in which we live. He's not encouraging the church to listen to rap music and to bring it into the church and to bring rodeos and barn dancing and darts nights and bowling in the church. He's not teaching that. But you see, today that is so common. It's very common today. We are going to get to what Paul is teaching. Something else he's not teaching here. He's not teaching that we need to try to find out what men's felt needs are. Or even to try to uh, bring an audience to win Christ. He's not saying that. He doesn't even mean that we are to try to uh, provide an audience with what they think they need. And then you somehow bring in Christ with a twist. But that is the kind of ministry that you would almost expect in so many modern churches today. So a few, few things that I want to say first of all, then we're going to come to the context. We must always bring our doctrine with us whenever we come to a certain passage of Scripture. You know what I'm going to say. Who saves? God and God alone saves. Except the Spirit of God regenerates a man, he can never come to Christ. Except he be drawn of the Spirit. John 6, the Lord Jesus, what did he say? No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. The person has to be quickened and drawn and called by Almighty God. Natural man is averse to the things of Christ. You think of that rich young ruler that came to the Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus didn't make things easier for him. He didn't make things more culturally acceptable to him. The rich young ruler that came to him, he said to him, it is impossible for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's impossible for man. So what do these words mean? I made all things to all men. Well, it doesn't mean that uh, before the Apostle Paul preached, he introduced uh, some newspaper article, or he began with some uh, culturally relevant topic of the day, or used trendy cultural expressions before he introduced them. No, he began, thus saith the Lord, and he, he preached the word of God. 
If you just go to the first part of the epistle, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, after his introduction, what does he say in verse 1? And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with ex excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And notice, and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and in power. In fact, he, he seemed a very feeble preacher. But as he preached, he came in the power of the Holy Spirit, and not in men's words of wisdom, but in the wisdom and the power of God, by the Word of God and by the Spirit. Why? Verse 5, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So Paul is not saying here that it is by some tactic or putting some bait on the hook. You know, when the Lord Jesus said, I will teach you to be fishers of men, he never taught his disciples any tricks. There are no tricks to the ministry. There are no devices that we use. In fact, he says, we, we, have, we, we do not practice these dishonest ways. But what it meant is it meant that he sacrificed anything and everything that was permissible for him to sacrifice that his ministry would not be hindered. I'm going to bring you to the context in a moment. That meant that he sacrificed personal comfort. He sacrificed personal plans. He sacrificed even his own perhaps preferential foods. Remember, Paul was a Jew, but he would sit down with the Gentiles and he would eat with the Gentiles. In fact, he severely rebuked Peter and Barnabas to their face as we read to the Galatians when they in fact removed themselves from the Gentiles when the Jews came visiting. He rebuked them severely because they were not sacrificing anything. They were more interested in pleasing their Jewish brethren than those who were Gentiles. They were respecters of men in that sense. Think of it, Paul, perhaps as a Jew, was not used to eating pork. Well, he became a Gentile. He became as one, as it were, who was without the law. He, as many Christians, perhaps even in that day, were not used to eating pork, who were Jews, were quite happy to eat pork for the sake of those who were Gentiles and quite used to eating pork. Paul sacrificed many things. He even sacrificed his life, didn't he? Personal safety. He sacrificed security. I can't imagine what his family might have thought. Maybe some of his relatives who were Jews. Maybe some of them completely wrote him off for now associating himself with the Gentiles. Who knows? We don't know all the details. But Paul endured every kind of trial because he loved the Lord. Paul is not saying here you need to adopt a wicked culture. He's not saying that at all. 
He's not saying that he employed worldly things as if that would enhance the gospel, as if uh, trying to be hip and trying to be uh, a person that is modern is going to get the Holy Spirit to regenerate that person's soul. You can't regenerate a person's soul. Being hip does not regenerate somebody's soul. And as I said, context is absolutely everything. And what we remember if we put our thinking caps on and go back to chapter 6, have a look there, chapter 6, verse 12. Do you remember the Apostle Paul, since chapter 6, he's been telling us that we're not our own. In fact, you could say that is the grand overarching theme of all of these chapters since we began. We're not our own. We were bought at a price. We're the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not our own now. Chapter 6, verse 12, he says, All things are lawful unto me. That is, all things that are permissible, really. It's not lawful to be a murderer or an adulterer, but he's saying now, I'm not, as it were, under ceremonial law. But all things are not expedient. Not everything is expedient for me to do. Not everything will redound to the glory of God's name. Not everything will promote the gospel in the best possible way. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. He's dealing with the opposite side of that. You can do something, and it can be an addiction, and it can be a sin. If you are doing something in excess, we said drinking, eating, anything, even a hobby, you can do it to an excess where it becomes a sin, and that thing has power over you. And then that's a very bad witness, is it? Oh, I thought you were a Christian. Look, that hobby's got, a, got its hold on you. Football, whatever it is, we're to be different. We're in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And the world sees you. And the world watches you before it listens to you and me. I'm preaching to myself. And then he says, meats for the belly and belly for the meats and so on. And you come down to verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 6. He says, what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Meats are for the belly, for you to live on. But meat is not to be your God. If, if you know, you're eating yourself to death or drinking yourself to death or smoking yourself to death, these things are terrible. You don't do this. You don't do something that you know. What is the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not commit murder. And a cigarette packet says, smoking kills. You know, you put that thing down. You know that thing's not good for you. You know many things are not good for you. And so on. And then he says, no, you're not. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Something we often forget, isn't it? The Holy Spirit lives in me as a Christian. I was bought at a price, not simply to redeem me and to, to pay for my sins, but that the Spirit of God would now come and live in my soul. And that I would live unto God. Why? He says, verse 20, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit which are God's. Now remember that theme, it carries on right into chapter 7. What did we consider in chapter 7? Well, the same principle flows into chapter 7. What is that principle? Even when it comes to marriage. Marriage is not your own. It's for Christ. 
It belongs to Christ. Your spouse is the Lord's. You are the Lord's. And your body now is for the spouse. Look at verse 4. The wife hath not power over her own body. 1 Corinthians 7, 4. But the husband. She doesn't say, well, it's my reproductive rights and so on. But the body is the husband's. And the husband belongs to Christ even, doesn't he? So the marriage is used for the glory of God. And likewise, also the husband hath not power over his own body, but his, the wife. And then he says, defraud ye not one of another. In other words, you belong to each other. And uh, the only time you to abstain, if willingly, this by mutual consent, that you may give yourself to prayer and fasting. If one of you desires, or there's a burning for uh, consensual, mutual uh, relations, then don't deny one another. The body belongs to the husband, belongs to the wife, and so on. And then he showed that it's true with regards even to Christian singleness, isn't it? If you're a single person, you don't use your singleness to go out to the nightclubs and to do what you want. You use your singleness for more service to the Lord. You can spend those hours that you would have spent with a spouse for the sake of the Lord in greater service to Him, giving and giving your time to the widows and the orphans and so many ways in which we can serve the Lord. But remember what he said, verse 7, I would that all men were even as I myself, but every man hath this, his proper gift of God. So it's a power, but the power is not to be abused, is it? The power that God gives us to be single or married is not for ourselves. And then, that even, that same thinking that we are not our own, spills over now into chapter 8. Remember we considered chapter 8. Remember he was talking about food and idols. And he says, you've got to remember you are your brother's keeper. We know that an idol is nothing. There's no such thing as an idol. There's one God, the true, the living God. But you don't use your Christian liberty to destroy your brother. Just because you know you can eat certain foods and certain things, and it's not a sin. Well, look at verse 13 of chapter 8. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Paul said, remember, I'm even prepared not to eat steak or anything for the rest of my life if it causes my brother to sin. That is how much the Apostle Paul wanted to serve the Lord. This is what he's speaking about here. He's saying, I'm not going to stand on my right to eat this and that. If it means destroying my brother, that man is convinced that that food was offered to an idol. So therefore, I'm not going to eat that food. If that man still, although he knows it's not even an idol, but he's offended the very fact that I've taken of that meat. You see, there's love, isn't there, for the body of Christ. There's love for the brethren. And remember, now we come to chapter 9. Again, that same thinking, that same, very same mindset, you are not your own. You are a mature Christian now. 
Remember who you are. And stop living for yourself. You were bought with a price. He now plugs this in within terms, we saw it last week, of the Corinthian church. Paul did not stamp on his right that this church support him. He was there for 18 months. And they were tough 18 months. We know from Acts chapter 18 how hard it was. There was a great riot in the city. And there's a great commotion. And Paul was in great fear, wasn't he? For his life. But the Lord said to him, Do not fear. I have many in this city. And that's why Paul stayed. He didn't have to. He didn't use his right, even though he didn't get paid for the gospel. And remember last time in chapter 9, we considered our giving to the Lord. And uh, remember, Paul even showed how from the law of Moses, uh, from even while the ox is treading the field, how you're not to muzzle the ox, how you're to feed it. How much more men? And he uses that again in 1 Timothy, doesn't he? And he says, common sense tells you, and you know this. You know it by the priesthood. You know it in the Old Testament. You know it by even referred there to the tabernacle of old. You don't withhold the worker. The laborer is worthy of his hire. You don't hold these things back. But Paul says, you know what? Although I had a right. And remember what he even said. Do not even I and Barnabas have a right to take a wife, even as Peter did? Peter had a wife, and Peter was well within his rights as a minister, as an apostle, to marry. Again, we we comment. The Church of Rome tried to force this celibacy to the great damage of the church. It's erroneous teaching. Well, come back again. Paul, again, the whole theme, what Paul is getting at is that Paul is not his own. And as a Christian, he has liberties, but he does not use his liberty to serve himself, but to serve the Lord. That's the whole context. And that's why context is so Important, isn't it? Look at verse 17. For if I do this thing willingly, he's been speaking as as we thought last week of preaching the gospel. I have reward. But if against my will a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me, what is my reward then? Verily that when I preach the gospel, I may make the gospel of Christ without charge, that I abuse not my power in the gospel. Now remember in Acts chapter 9, it was the Lord who commissioned the Apostle Paul to be that apostle to the Gentiles. And Paul was commanded by the Lord Jesus Christ to preach the gospel. It wasn't an option, he was called. And when a minister is called, he's called. But here's the issue, whether paid or not. He says, whoa. If I preach not the gospel, we don't do it for charge. It's right if a minister's paid, but if he's not, he's not going to stand on his rights, is he? Because he does it willingly. Because he's so thankful for what the Lord has done and the Lord has called him to it. And he will look to the Lord to provide the needs. 
You know, the Lord is no man's debtor. If he has called us to something, he will provide all the needs. And so he begins, if you notice, verse 19, with a, a very important little conjoining word. It's the word for. And we know, whenever we see the word for, we could put the word because. And we've got to look what goes before the for. So we see there, for, because, here's the reason. Though I be from all, free from all men, he's not, he, he's yet speaking about, when you think about this church, and Paul was free in the sense that he was not a particular pastor of a church, and uh, he's not accountable to this church as such, although he was accountable to the church of Jesus Christ anywhere. If he was called into question, he had to answer to it. Same as the other apostles. But here in this specific um, section, really, he's saying, although I'm free of all men, and not here as the pastor of this church, yet have I made myself servant unto all. That's how he regarded his office. He's the servant of the church, servant of all God's people. Why? That I might gain them all. And that's what he's going to deal with. Paul here, as I said, has been speaking about the ministry. He's been called to preach, but he will not take charge. He will not insist on a charge for the ministry. He's a servant to all, so that he preaches to all. Well, he was willing, wasn't he, as we said, to even forbear this being supported by the church at Corinth for the sake of Christ. Why? Because he loved them, and he loved he loved the Lord, and he was bought at a price, and he always realized that. And a true minister will always realize that. And it is such a blessing to preach. It's a wonderful thing. The minister is always blessed. You know, we often hear people say, well, when do you get to enjoy? Well, well I get the blessing as much as you do in the ministry, because the Lord is feeding me as we feed together upon his word. Now, Paul here is not teaching that need to be culturally acceptable. We're going to think about this here this evening. I want you to think how ridiculous it would be. Imagine with sanctified imagination, if I stood in the town, and there are some people that have, have this view of what the minister should look like and be. Imagine if I went into the town on Thursday and I dressed like a rapper or some rock star and a uh, had a hat on sideways and all this bling on me, what would some people think? Well, some people will think he's lost his marbles. The old people expect better, don't they? It's ridiculous to think that we have to be culturally acceptable. Paul is not saying that. Some people would say, how disrespectful for a minister to talk like that, to dress like that. In fact, I remember some years ago, taking some young people to a church. We have nothing to do with these churches anymore, thank goodness. I mean, there's some faithful churches, but we went there and we used to have youth meetings. And you'd see the, the minister and young ministers dressing down, looking like hoodies. And uh, they introduced this game once in the, ch in the church. And uh, if you believe this, stand up on all the pews. And you see all these young people standing up on these wooden pews in the church. And lo and behold, I turn around, there's a bunch of ministers in the back standing on the pews themselves. 
What kind of respect are you showing to the young people there? And then one of the young people commented and said, what are we doing here? Why are we going to these meetings? Look at these young preachers trying to dress like young people. And the one person said, you know what we need? We need somebody to look up to. Not somebody that's trying to be like us. You know, people don't think. We are not to be like the world. We're not to try to be hip or anything like that. How ridiculous it is to think that if you dress like somebody, you're going to change their heart. You know, the world expects, I believe this, the minister to look a little more serious than some silly schoolboy with a hat turned sideways on his head and some t-shirt. I think the world expects at least a lot more than that, don't you? Well, here we come to all things to all men. It does not mean that you are free to do all things to win others. You and I are not free to do all things to win others. I mean, to what extent do you want to take this? You want to take drugs to win people? That's ridiculous. That's going from the sublime, isn't it, to the ridiculous. Secondly, to become all things to all men means that you do not stand or insist on your rights, as I've been saying. And that's what we're going to get to this evening. You do not stand on your rights. Because the truth of the gospel means more than your own comforts. And this is really what Paul is getting at. I'll give you a little example. When Paul here speaks to the Jew, and unto the Jews, I became as a Jew. Now there are four examples that he gives. The first is to the Jew. Think of the, the Jew. Imagine we had a Jewish man coming along to the church here. And uh, my wife and I, and some of you know, you love a nice pork joint. Imagine if we invited him back, and I said to my wife, I don't care that the man's a Jew. He should know that we're Christians. And, uh, well, he's coming along, and, well, he better like pork. We can find another home to eat in. Would that be the right thing to do? No. That's the point that I'm making. This is what Paul says, unto the Jews, I became a Jew. What he's saying here, if you look at this, there are certain, th it's not what you do, it's things that you don't do. Things that you forbear for the sake of Christ. He's not saying be like the world. He's saying, but don't put a barrier there. Unnecessarily. This is really what he's dealing with. Don't insist on certain things, just like he didn't have to insist on getting paid. This is not about doing something. It's not about Showing that you're hip or cool just to get a, an audience with somebody, is it? No. It's about refusing yourself, your rights that you have as a Christian. Why? Because you care about the truth. Because you do not want people to think that Christians are insensitive. And I think there are lessons that we have to learn about manners. As Christians, we, we have common manners that we have to learn. Manners are being thoughtful about other people. I'm just talking about ordinary manners. It's about being considerate. 
And, you know, you can plug this into so many areas of your life as a Christian. Our parents, hopefully, teach us good manners. And Christians are meant to be considerate, kind people who are thoughtful. So you just don't butt into conversations and, and make a commotion. I, I'm talking about ordinary things. This is just common courtesy. And the way you eat, and the way you wait for other people, the way you do things. It, of course, all of this just plugs in. A Christian is to be kind, considerate, thoughtful. So right away, you can see that the context here shows that these verses have been violently, let me say, misinterpreted and used in a way that was never intended to be. In fact, what the church today does is it, it turns what Paul is teaching here by the Spirit upside down on its head and has brought the world in the church. That is what's happened. And it's, it's a serious thing. We have to be very careful. You know, a fish on a car, I learned this as an early Christian, is not going to save somebody. In fact, they're going to be watching you very carefully because you've got a fish on the car. They watch how you drive. A t-shirt that says, I love Jesus. Well, you better love him. And you better not be like the world. Nothing wrong with that, but... You have, you've got to be very careful you do these things. Well, let us look at the, we've seen the context, but let's look at the content of the statements now. Secondly, although I be free from all men, I have yet have I made myself a servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became a Jew. Now, first of all, becoming all things to all men. Let me just say, first of all, as we look at the content here, it does not mean aiming to please men. I want you to see that. That is not the thought here. The aim is to please Christ. It's not to please men. He's not in the ministry, neither am I. None of us should be in the business of engaging people in evangelism or whatever, trying to please people. You know, in meeting people at their so-called felt needs. Because people really don't know what they need. They don't. If you just turn to Galatians 1.9, the apostle says there, and he reminds us about pleasing men. Galatians 1.9. As we said before, so say I, I now again, if any man preach another gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Now notice, yes, we, we must never forget these conjoining words. I say one of the best ways to, to help us to understand what a verse is saying is always try to look and see if the verse that follows has a conjoining word. For, and it does, verse 10. Here's the reason. He's been speaking about a false gospel. And what kind of a false gospel is this? 
For if I now persuade men, O God, do I now persuade men, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You see, you can't have your eye on pleasing a man and pleasing Christ at the same time, can you? The whole ideology when you reach somebody, it's not to please that person. We are not sycophants. We're not here to get a smile and applause and approval of somebody. And they don't know what they really need. That's the first thing we've got to realize. We are not here to please men. If your aim is for men, you cease to be a servant of Christ. If your aim is to please them, you cease to be a servant of Christ. Well, he taught us this principle. If you just turn back to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23, he says, Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye servants, the servants of men. 1 Corinthians 7, 23. See what he says there. Ye are bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. You can't be. It's impossible. Don't try to be Mr. Nice Guy. Then it's always the people, and I, I don't mean to, to be condescending, people that want the approval of people are very insecure people. As Christians, we are not to be insecure. We should be happy with our own company and with the company of Christ. And if we have the company of other believers, well, that's wonderful. But we shouldn't have to need to have a list of 100 friends on our phone and have to be in contact with everybody else. It's, it's good to have friends. And we're told, aren't we, in the Proverbs, he that would have friends must be friendly. But we've got to be careful that we're not seeking friends for the wrong reasons. We're here for Christ. We're here to serve him. We're not here in the world to have a, a great list of friends. And if somebody crosses us off the friendship list, well, so be it. It doesn't matter. We have Christ. That's all that's important, my friend. And I've had to learn that the hard way as a Christian. In the ministry, I've lost many people. I don't think they were friends at all, really, in the long run. But you know, if we will seek to please men, we'll never be the servant of Christ. To be all things, let me say, first of all, does not mean that you are striving to please people. It does not mean that you're striving for an audience, for an applause, to win people's respect either. We are not here to win people's respect. We want people to honor Christ. We're striving to please God. That's the bottom line, isn't it? If not, I suggest we're very worldly. We're perhaps still in the world. It may even be that you're lost. You want people to know Christ. As I said, lost people don't even know what they need. And sometimes... What he can mean here as well, where he says all things to all men, we know that the world takes this as a negative connotation. It means a man can be duplicitous. And, it, well, if you take that approach, as many do today, and many churches are like this, you've heard of the purpose-driven church, Rick Warren and others, similar. Their ethos is, well, I want to find out what you want so that you can come to the church and give it to you. But you see, you're not dealing with a problem, are you? It's like, I suppose, the man with a bad 
mouth. He swears. You can go to the other end of the extreme here. Here's a man, he's got a foul mouth. What do you do? As we will see, to the person that is without the law, that's the Gentile, he was a Gentile. He didn't say, listen man, need to go and wash your mouth out. Problem is, the man needs a new heart. And if he's got a new heart, he's going to have a new mouth, isn't he? He's going to have new speech. It's like the woman. You don't say to the Gentile woman, well, your clothes are a bit... Well, there's some things we can't tolerate in the church, I understand. When people need to put on clothes. But that's not the way you deal with people. Sometimes it's a heart problem. Because dress is an attitude, isn't it? If somebody's heart is changed, they no longer want to flaunt their body. They no longer want to put it on display. If you can deal with the heart, that's why you don't begin. It, it wouldn't be helpful, would it? You tell somebody certain things. They're just going to shut up. They're not going to listen. What you need to do is bring them to the gospel. You need to bring them to the truth so that God does change their heart by the Spirit. That is what is needed. This is what he means by all things to all men. To the Gentile, and the Gentiles were, were not used to the refineries of the, the Jewish culture. And look at today. We've got to meet people, as it were, where they are. But it doesn't mean to say you be like the person. You show that you're different. You don't dress down. You don't dumb things down. I mean, that's dumb. That's becoming like the world, isn't it? But it means that you, you pray that God will do a work in that person's soul. That he'll change that woman's heart. That he'll change that foul-mouthed man's mouth. Only God can do it. And that's what he means. He doesn't mean bring the world's culture in and you dress like the world that I might gain them. Well, he uses four examples. Verse 20, as I said, to the Jews, I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. Think of the, how he, remember Timothy. He had Timothy circumcised. Timothy, we know, Acts 16:1. Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek. Now, he had Timothy circumcised. Was it necessary? Did he have to? Was uh, Timothy constrained? Would it be justified by circumcision? Absolutely not. But Paul knew that Timothy could not preach in the synagogues unless he was circumcised. There's no ways they would have let him in. Not to preach. So it was expedient. So Timothy was circumcised. To the Jew, he became a Jew. That was Timothy. But in the case of Titus, have a look at Titus. Titus chapter 2 verse 1. Titus was a Gentile who went to Jerusalem with Paul and Barnabas. And what happened there? 
when they went to Jerusalem, the Jews were insisting, Paul, get Titus circumcised. Paul said, no way. Because that would have affected doctrine. Look at verse 1. Then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them that gospel which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. Now, what do you mean, Paul? But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because, in other words, here's the reason, of false brethren, unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty or our freedom, which we have in Christ, that they might bring us into bondage. That's the reason to whom we gave place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He says the whole reason is this. These men that were insisting that Titus be circumcised, or some of even suggesting it, we did not give in to this. Because it would have brought into question the whole issue of the gospel. Doctrine was at stake. There were people insisting on it. To be a Christian, a full as it were, kosher Christian, get circumcised. Other, without circumcision, well, if you're circumcised, Paul to, says to the Galatians, Christ availeth nothing if you insist upon it. You see? So to the Jew, he became a Jew, but there were times he didn't give in because of the truth. Then to those under the law, he uses another term, he became as those under the law. Think of it, if Paul had to go to a, a Jewish festival and try and evangelize amongst some of his Jewish brethren, he didn't say, hey guys, what are you doing with this sacrifice? What, what's all this commotion about? He would have had then no entrance to speak about the gospel, would he? They would have just written him off. This guy hadn't got a clue what he's talking about and he has no respect for the things of God. That's what they would have thought. What's he doing? Calling us names, desecrating the whole place. The Jews had dietary laws certain days. Paul didn't walk around compelling everyone to stop doing those things. Rather, he took the gospel. And it was the word of God. And by the power of the Spirit, they changed. He knew that they needed to hear the truth first. And then the things would go. And then verse 21, to them that are without the law, it's a reference to the Gentiles, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. To them that are without the law as without the law. Well, he knew that the Gentiles were very different. They didn't have the oracles of God. They didn't have the refineries. And he knew that just like as Titus had to go to Crete, the Cretans were foul-mouthed, rough men. But it didn't matter. You, you, you lay all that aside. And your comforts and being offended for the sake of the gospel. That's what he's saying. 
Now notice where he says, as without the law, being not without law to God, but under the law to Christ. Now many, sadly, and I have to comment on this, suggest that there are two kinds of laws. The idea is this, if you're in the Old Testament under the Jew, and this is true, whoever does not keep the law, the whole of it, is guilty. But when the Lord saves us, Romans 3, 31, Paul says, do we make the law void through the coming of faith? He said, God forbid, we establish the law. The law is the enduring standard of righteousness to all who believe. Notice, but he says, but under the law to Christ. The ESV says, under the law of Christ. So the, all the modern translations are making out as if there are, well, there's the law of God and there's the law of Christ. It's the same law, but notice, it's the law to God. If you serve it to God, well, you better keep it. But now we serve the law through the hands of a redeemer. When we are saved, we can say, I delight in the law of God, in the inward man. When you're saved, we know Romans 7 says that we died to another, that we might bring forth fruits of righteousness, that we serve Christ now. We don't, we're not under the law, the condemning power of the law. No, because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. Christ has paid the debt, and he is the end of the law for righteousness. He is my righteousness, but the law now is there so that I serve the Lord, because it is the law that tells us what sin is. You can't define sin without the law. It's not as if the Christian is without law, but he serves the law to Christ, to a wonderful, a wonderful Savior that shed his blood for us. We have a Lord's Day. It's called the Lord's Day Sabbath. Hebrews 4 verse 9, there remaineth a Sabbath keeping for the Lord's people. So Paul says, look, but when I'm amongst the, the, the Gentiles, I, I mustn't start placing demands upon them. I receive them as they are, and I show them that they're undone under the law of God, that there's no hope, that the only righteousness is through Jesus Christ, who is the end of the law for righteousness to all who believe. And I don't say to them, well, you know, and here's the danger. Clean up your mouth or you're going to hell. Well, you've already sinned. You've already passed the threshold. You must look to this one who died for his people and who lives in them and who changes the heart so that you don't swear, so that you dress different, so that you live differently. That's a Christian. That's what Paul's saying. He says, I meet these Gentiles where they are. I don't talk like them. I don't hang out in the bars and the pubs. No. I'm not... I'm in the world, but I'm not of it. Thirdly, to those outside the law, being without the law to God. So, so important. He would have to eat with the Gentiles. Maybe some of the things that they ate. 
but he did so for the sake of Christ. Didn't he? So long as he's not sinning. That's the main thing, isn't it? You see, it's recognizing what a man's real need is. Is Christ. To hear the truth and pray that God will change that man's heart. Not being disobedient, but being obedient. And yet not insisting upon his rights. Fourthly, notice, and we come full circle, and we close with this now. Verse 22. To the weak became I as weak. Here he speaks about those who are weak in conscience, my friends. This takes us right back to chapter 8, verse 11. Remember what he said there? What is he talking about here? He's speaking about the weak in conscience, because that's what he was dealing with before. Verse 11, 1 Corinthians 8, 11. And through thy knowledge shall the weak brother perish, for whom Christ died. But when ye sin, so sin ye against the brethren, and so on. You see, he's saying, look, I don't stand on my rights. It's not like I've become like the world. Far from it. I've got to be very different in this world to the world. But I don't stand on my right. I don't try and imitate the culture. I don't try and be hip. You know, the modern church has made these verses a joke in our day. And look at the church. It's in the world. It's the Spirit of God that changes a man. But you know, thank God, he uses feeble instruments like you and me. But we have to die to self, don't we? If we're going to be useful for Christ, we have to be thoughtful. We have to be considerate. We have to show good manners. We're never given permission to be rude, to be unkind, to be like the world. What did the Lord Jesus say? He said, if you were of the world, the world would love his own. But because you are not of the world, I have chosen you out of the world. Therefore the world hateth you. The world is going to hate the Christian. And sometimes because you're doing the right thing. And don't think that that's not evangelism. Evangelism is not results, my friend. Evangelism is doing what God has called us to do. To die to self. To stop being selfish, to be thoughtful, to be considerate, and to remember. The one who left heaven, left the riches, the glory of heaven, to come. To lay all aside his glory, to become a servant, so that we would be servants of the living God. It's what he's called us to, hasn't he? To be servants. That's what Paul's saying here. That I might be a servant to all. Now, I ask, I just close this. A few challenges. Are we a servant without time? It's amazing how much time people can have for lots of things. You can give your time for people. What about convenience? Some things are very inconvenient. But do we sacrifice our time? Do we sacrifice things maybe because, or don't, because it's inconvenient? What about our homes? 
That's to be used for the Lord, hospitality. All of these things for the Lord. You see, the Christian should say, I am willing to put Christ first. I am willing to put others first for the sake of the truth. God will save. You know, it's all very well saying, God will save. And he will. But he uses means, doesn't he? And he uses people. May God help us to be Christ-like. Amen.